One of the interesting things about our ancestors in the Jewish faith is they would have never asked the question, what is the meaning of life? For them, the most important question had to do with what does God want from us? What are we supposed to be doing? And so as we start the new year together, we want to spend a few weeks thinking about uh, that topic. What is it? That God wants. How are we supposed to know what it is that we do with our life? And the scripture we're going to think about this morning is the scripture of Moses at the burning bush in chapter 3, picking up in verse 5. When God says to Moses, don't come any closer and take off your shoes for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac and I am God of of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face so that he would not look at God. And God continued and said, I have heard of the misery of my people under the Egyptians. I have seen their, I've seen their struggle and suffering under the slave drivers. And I have been concerned about that suffering. And now I have come down so that I might free them from the hand of the Egyptians and take them into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The first Sunday of the new year is a good time to talk about resolutions, but instead I want to talk to you about a pet peeve that I have. And that is this, that often when we start talking about the Bible and what the Bible has to say about something, both Christians and non-Christians will attempt to offer this excuse. They'll say, yeah, but wasn't the Bible used to defend slavery in the 19th century? Well, let's be clear about this. If the Bible was used to defend slavery in the 19th century, then it was not used. It was misused. Because one of the things that the Bible is very clear about is the concept of freedom. And the concept of freedom is both foundational for our faith, as well as one of the central tenets of our faith. All the way through the scripture, we learn about God's desire that people be free. It starts with the story that we look at this morning at the burning bush. And Moses is going to be called by God to go and face the Pharaoh as well as go back to his own people. And the goal, of course, of the Passover and the Exodus is that God's people will be freed from slavery. And then God's people are led by Moses to Mount Sinai where they get the Ten Commandments. And when you give Ten Commandments, you are presupposing that people have freedom, that they can either obey the commandments or not obey the commandments. So central to our Older Testament is the concept of freedom. And it becomes central in the life of Jesus as well. You'll remember that Jesus taught us that we would come to know the truth. And when we knew the truth about ourselves and the Holy Spirit, that truth would make us free. And then he went to the cross. And then to his tomb, died and rose again, we understand as Christians, so that we might be freed from our slavery to death and to sin. Freedom was so central for Paul that this is what Paul told the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Freedom is a cardinal virtue for the people of God. And if we're going to talk about what God wants for our lives, then we need to understand that the ability we have to do anything with our life at all flows from the fact 
that God has given us freedom. Now, having said that, this is what I want to do this morning. I want to say just a few general words about freedom and then three specific things that I think tie into the Exodus story about freedom. The general thing is this. I'm reminded that long before I came along, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in one of his inaugural addresses, said this. He talked about the four freedoms. Do you remember that from history class? The four freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Those are all wonderful things. But biblically, we don't usually talk about freedom of and freedom from as much as we talk about freedom for. Biblically, freedom was understood as something that we have so that we might better serve and love God and better and serve and love others. Freedom wasn't just for us and our purposes. Freedom was about the larger purposes of God. We were given freedom so that we could be a blessing uh, to the world. In fact, Paul illustrates this for his people when he cautions them in one letter. He says, now, don't use your freedom as a license to sin. In other words, you're free, but don't use it to just do anything you want. And then he goes back and talks about his own self in another letter. And he said, you know, I'm free to eat anything. But he said, if it offends my brother or sister, then I won't use that freedom to eat anything. See, one of the conflicts in the early church was that you could get meat that had been offered and uh, sacrificed to a false god like, say, Zeus or Apollo, and, and the meat was still good meat, and it had been offered, and it was for sale in the marketplace. And there were many Christians that said, well, Zeus isn't a real god, so I can eat the meat. But there were other Christians who were afraid that, well, they didn't think that was a good way to honor God, so they wouldn't eat the meat. And so Paul's just saying, look, if my freedom is going to hurt somebody else, then I'm going to step back. He always saw freedom in terms of not just the individual, but the community as well. So freedom is not just for ourselves to do whatever we want, but freedom kind of is in the boundary of our responsibility and our relationship with other people. And that way, freedom is like a mighty river, and it's great within its banks. But when it gets out its, outside of its banks, freedom can actually itself become uh, destructive. Uh, one of the, there are two early stories in the Bible that show what happens when you have complete freedom and then shows what happens when you have no freedom at all. Do you remember the story of Noah and God floods the world? What Before the flooding, this is what the Bible says, that God looked on people and every thought they had was only evil all the time. That's a pretty condemning statement. In other words, they were using their freedom in really terrible ways. It was a world that had lots of freedom, but no sort of responsibility or order in it at all. And then we get a few chapters over to the story of the Tower of Babel, which is a giant tower they built so they could ascend to heaven and they could be God. And what you had in this was a story of great order, amazing execution and organization and very clear boundaries. But no freedom whatsoever. And it also led to a bad end. And so the Bible teaches us right away that if we're going to have freedom, we're going to have to balance that freedom with uh, responsibility and with community. It's not just about what I want and doing what I want when I want to do it. It's about taking the freedom God has me, has given me and using it in ways that bless and encourage other people. Now, having said that about freedom in general, I want to uh, take a shot at the first answer to the question, what does God want anyway? What is it God wants? And I stole this answer from a great rabbi of the 21st century. His name is Jonathan Sachs. And he said this. He said, the free God desires the free worship of free people. 
The free God desires the free worship of free people. I think that is as great and a summary of Exodus as anybody has ever given. Let me break that down for you. The first thing we notice about God is that God is a free God. God is free. Um, one of the things Moses asked God a little bit later after the passage I did this morning is like, okay, if I, I go to my people, they're going to want to know your name. Uh, who should I say is calling? Who, who's sending me? And God basically gives Moses an answer, and, and his name is the verb form to be in Hebrew, which, you know, take a shot at interpreting it. It could be, I am who I am. That's not a bad interpretation, but to me that sounds a little bit like something Popeye might say, so I don't like that one as well. But another one would be, I will be who I will be, or I will be who I choose to be. There's a sense in which God's saying to Moses, you're not going to nail me down by my name. I'm going to give you just enough so that I remain mysterious for you. One of the things about the ancient world is they believed if you knew somebody's name, by that fact, you would have some power over them. So there's this great story in the New Testament where Jesus comes across a guy that's filled with all these demons. And so the first move the demon makes is this. He says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. It's like, score one for me. I know your name. I've got you where I want you. But it has no power at all. Instead, what Jesus does is he gets the demon to go ahead and confess his own name, which is Legion. And so the the demon has got to be humiliated in front of all the other demons because he's messed up. Because when it comes to God, knowing the name is not is not a matter of power. No one's going to have power over God. And so God basically gives Moses a very uh, name that's kind of is not going to be boxed in. I think about that because to the fact that we have a free God is both bad news and good news. It's bad news because a lot of our biblical faith, I think, uh, that we think we're practicing is we try to find ways to manipulate God and get God to do what we want God to do. So if we could pray it in Jesus' name, or we could do these three things, we, we, we try to check off everything whereby God will answer it in the way that we want to answer And the bad news about biblical faith is God is not exactly there just to do what we want. Now, the good news is this. God usually has a few surprises. And the best thing that I think I want, God is in God's freedom is free to give me something I have not even imagined yet. That answers the issue in ways that I couldn't even frame the issue. Uh, Jeremiah put it this way. God says, call on me and I'll tell you answers to questions you haven't even thought to ask. And so the good news about God's freedom is God is free to act in all sorts of surprising ways. But the bad news is I don't think our God's really very fond of us trying to manipulate God and maneuver God into doing things our particular way. God is a free God. Now, best news of all is that since we're created in the image of God, that means that we must also be free as well. So that's the free God. What does the free God want? Well, the free God desires the free worship. Of people, And uh, one of the things that happens is Moses goes to Pharaoh and God tells Moses, now this is what you're to tell Pharaoh, tell him to let you go three days in the wilderness so you can worship me. And Pharaoh's uh, like most great uh, productive societies believes that worship is a waste of time because it doesn't contribute to the gross national product. So 15 centuries before Jesus... 21 centuries after Jesus, wherever you are in a great society, they're not going to have a whole lot of interest in worship. It doesn't seem to do anything for anybody. So Pharaoh's like, if you got time to worship, then you obviously have too much time on your hand. How about you go gather the straw yourself? 
for the bricks. It's an interesting um, word usage in Hebrew, as I understand it in this passage, is in Hebrew, the same word can mean work, which is like good work, productive work. It can also mean slavery, which is, well, that's oppressive work. But it can also be used from time to time to mean worship. And so one of the interesting things is it's almost as if the Bible's saying, you know, Pharaoh doesn't get it. We were made to worship, but he thinks we were made to work. That we were made to be slaves, but we were really made in freedom to worship. Now, I'm not against work, and in fact, work is one of the ways that we worship God is by offering what we do. What is, what is oppressive is the notion that worship doesn't make contribution uh, to God's world. And so Pharaoh doesn't get that. As many societies don't get it, and so Pharaoh wants to further enslave them, but God is coming to free them so they can worship. And part of worship is, of course, it's a loving relationship. In other words, the free God, what God wants is for us to be able to freely uh, love God and freely be in relationship uh, with God. So the free God desires the free worship, finally, of free people. Because if we're not free, then our worship doesn't really count for much. If we only worship because we've been oppressed into worshiping, then that just means we've traded one Pharaoh for a bigger Pharaoh. God desires the free will worship of people. And so we have an option. We have an option every day. We have an option every week of whether we will worship God or not. And what God wants is free worship because all relationships have to be built uh, on freedom, if they're any good at all. What I tell people, if my wife would have consented to marry me because I was the only male of marriageable age that she knew in her life, that wouldn't constitute much freedom. And that wouldn't constitute much of a relationship between us. But since we chose each other, out of other options, we freely entered into that relationship, and that's what God desires, is that we would freely choose to be in relationship with God, and we choose to do that through worship. So one of the things God wants is people that are free, free from addiction, a society free from racism or ageism or discrimination of any kind. Uh, God looks for a people free from guilt or worry of fear. God looks for people who recognize that their past is not necessarily their future. One of the things about having a free God is that any moment can change and we can, with God, write a new chapter to the story in our life. Uh, There is a wonderful uh, biblical principle uh, that the Jews um, uh, will talk about, and that is every descent in the Bible is usually the stage for a higher ascent. And the ascent is usually you end up higher than the place from which you originally fell. So let's let's look at the story of Joseph. Joseph starts out a very favorite son of his father. Then he ends up in slavery. Then he ends up in prison. And all of a sudden, he ends up being called second in command of Egypt, which is higher than the point from which he started. One of the things that they are saying in the Bible is where you are not doomed to always be where you are at this moment. That in freedom, you are free with God to write a new and different ending. That your future doesn't have to be uh, decided by your past. The Greeks believe that. They called it fate. So remember the story of Oedipus? 
you know, Oedipus's father finds out that Oedipus at his birth is going to kill his father. So he does what I guess any father interested in self-preservation does. He sends his son away, ties him to rock, leaves him to die. But of course, for the Greeks, you're fated, so it can't end like that. And so, remember, Oedipus is, is uh, discovered by another king and queen, and they raise him. Oedipus comes back and ends up, of course, killing his father. That's fate. That's not the Bible. In the Bible, there's always some new and better story that is written. And, and so, in freedom, God wants to remind us as a free people that we are not chained to our past or even to our present, that something new and different can happen. But I think out of habit, we tend to look at things and think that, well, the next moment's going to be just like this moment. So, for example, last night at 8 o'clock, I turn off the TV. It's 31 to nothing. Right? Well, all right, I didn't turn it off. I turned the channel. We watched Aerial America. I learned all about Minnesota. I learned all about Michigan. And much to my surprise, my phone started buzzing. The game had gone into overtime. What? I thought, like, the future had to be exactly what had been scripted up to that point. That is a wonderful Greek way to look at life. And they, and they pioneered this art form and they called it tragedy. But what the people of God were introduced to by our free God in the Exodus was a new art form And they called it freedom.